Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of Luke, chapter 16. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. Last week, I told you that you had come on a very special uh, Sunday. And today, again, you've come on a special Sunday because today we're going to be talking about marriage and hell. <laughs> and for some of y'all, those two topics are closely related. <laughs> Realize that. They go nicely together. But today we're going to be talking about marriage and hell. Now, you were with me last week. You know that we talked about And we learned a good lesson from a bad example as an unjust steward wasn't faithful with his master's goods. And when the master found out about it, you remember from last week, don't you? When the master found out about it, he called him to give an account for his finances. And the steward immediately began to cut a deal with all those who who owed the master money. And the master commended the unjust steward, not because he was a crook, but because he was wise because he secured the future with the present. And the lesson that we learned last week and the lesson that we uh, took away last week was that we should live our lives in such a way that we use our money and our time and our talents and our resources for the future. We use it for eternity. Remember I told you last week that you can't take it with you, but you can what, saints? Send it ahead. You can't take it with you, but you can send it ahead. Well, today... Jesus is going to talk to us about someone who didn't send it ahead, someone who didn't use their money or their resources to secure the future. I've titled this sermon, One Minute After You Die, Luke chapter 16. I need to turn to myself. Luke chapter 16, and we begin in verse 14. Saints, if you're looking at verse 14, say amen. All right, some of y'all ain't looking. Luke 16, 14, if you're looking at it, say amen. Amen. Now the Pharisees, thank you, who were, what saints? Lovers of money also heard all these things, and they derided him. And he said to them, you are those who justify yourselves before men. This is Jesus talking, y'all got that. You are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. Oh, you should underline that. For what is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. The law and the prophets were until John. Since that time, the kingdom of God has been preached, and everyone is pressing into it. And it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one tittle or one period of the law to fail. Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery, and whoever marries her who is divorced from her husband commits adultery. Saints, stop right there 
giving you attention, Jesus has been talking about, you know, about material things, and he's been talking about eternity and serving God with your resources and money. Uh, Jump back up to chapter 16, verse 13. Jesus finished his teaching, and we talked about it last week, that no servant can serve two masters. You cannot serve God and what? Mammon or money. Well, when the Pharisees heard this teaching, what teaching? This teaching about covetousness, this teaching about money, this teaching about securing the future with the present. When the Pharisees heard this teaching, they derided him. The word derided, if you're taking notes, it literally means to lift up the snout. To lift up the snout or to turn up your nose. The Pharisees turned up their noses for two reasons. Number one, if you're taking notes, they love money and they serve mammon. Number two, they turned up their nose because they saw money as evidence of God's favor, not as a false god, mammon. Now, the Pharisees, listen, they had a theology of name it, claim it, blab it, grab it, confess it, it's yours. The Pharisees were the first prosperity teachers. You know, the Bible says there's nothing new under the sun. And how much teaching do we hear today about the prosperity message? I challenge you. 99.999% of the teaching in the church is about prosperity. It's about what God will give you. It's about what you get from God. Even the songs that are being sung in the church. Maybe do you notice this or is it just me? The songs that are even being sung in the church are songs about, you know, God blessing you and what you get from God and and how much God's going to give you and what you need to name and claim and all this prosperity message of money. There's so much teaching in the church about getting money. You would almost think that there's no other subject in the Bible except money because that's all you ever hear about. One guy was teaching a sermon recently, and he said, and the topic of his sermon was money cometh. (laughs) Money cometh. They act like there's no other topic in the Bible except for money. These Pharisees, they were the first prosperity teachers. Then they would say that if you don't have money or you're not rich, then there must be sin in your life or, or you have a sickness or, and, and, or, or there's something must be wrong with you. Listen, that's ludicrous. Not ludicrous the rapper, but ludicrous. Uh... See, some of y'all didn't even know I knew that, did you? See, I know Pastor Ronnie, cool. I, I'm, I know what's happening. I know what's out there. Not ludicrous the rapper, but it's ludicrous. It's crazy to think that just because someone's sick, it's because they're not blessed by God. Or that because someone doesn't have money, that they are cursed by God. It's also ludicrous to think that you're ever in a position to tell God what to do. It would be like my children trying to tell me what to do. Let me tell you something. It ain't going to happen. Now, I know, let me, I, know, I know, listen, I know. Look, let me just tell you right up front, Okay. of what I'm going to say today is completely assaulting to the cultural norm, okay? But I'm not from this new school of children telling parents what to do. Some parents, some parent clap, some parents say amen. 
I'm not li- uh-uh. No, 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 no. If you live in my house, you're going to do what I tell you to do. If I tell you to jump, you're going to be on your way up asking how high. Did you hear me? Or did you hear me? You're going to be, uh, I'm, from the, I'm from the old school. It'd be like my children trying to tell me what to do. Today's teaching is like we need to be telling God what to do. Listen, God is sovereign. And God, the word sovereign simply means he does whatever he pleases. God does whatever he wants because he's God. And we need to obey God. And we need to submit to the will and the plan and the purpose of God. We're never in the place of telling God what he ought to do. So these Pharisees in our text, Jesus starts telling them that their problem is the love of their money, and they turn up their noses. They turn up the snout. They derided him. Verse 15, please look at it. Jesus said, you justify yourselves before men, but God knows the heart. The Pharisees were wealthy and very materialistic, and some were millionaires and justified their wealth by saying that they were wealthy because they were spiritual and that they were blessed by God. And Jesus says, you justify your covetous heart by linking it with spirituality, but God knows your heart. Look at verse 16. Jesus says, you Pharisees claim to embrace the law and the prophets, but you need to understand that they were until John. Are you looking at it? They were until John. In other words, John the Baptist was the last of the Old Testament prophets. But now the kingdom is present and people are pressing into it. And they're not pressing into it in terms of rebellion, but in terms of submission and obedience to God. Look at verse 18. Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery. And whoever marries her who is divorced from her husband commits adultery. Now, give me your attention. At first read, doesn't it seem like Jesus throws a curveball here? Why does Jesus start talking about divorce? Well, remember the context. Jesus is talking about their covetous heart. And covetousness is wanting more of what you already have or wanting what someone else has. And the Pharisees were covetous in using the law to justify their covetousness. They even use the law to justify their covetous hearts as it relates to marriage. And get this. Some of the Pharisees had up to 20 wives. I don't know how they had up to 20 wives. God knows I'm having a difficult time with the one I got. I got one. I mean, Miss Elvira is lovely, but one wife is plenty. Fellas, say amen. And some of the women are like, you better not say nothing. Say amen. See, I slap you in the church. I don't know what they were doing with 20 wives. I give one of them is plenty for me. Well, some of them had 20 wives, and they would be married to one for a while, and then they would see a PYT. Anybody know what a PYT is? Y'all so fleshy. Y'all just worldly. Y'all know PYT. Now, listen, it's pretty, it's pretty young thing. I'm just trying to help you because I'm your pastor. I love you. It's pretty young thing, not pretty young thing. If you say pretty young thing, we're going to know you don't know what you're talking about. Oh, it's a pretty young thing. No, it's a pretty young thing. That's a PYT. And they would think, hey, I'm tired of this old one, so I think I'll trade her in for a new one. 
And the Pharisees thought, well, if you found any uncleanness in your wife, and this is what they taught, if you found any uncleanness in your wife or your wives, you could divorce her. So they came up with all kinds of stuff. They said if she burned dinner, you could divorce her. If she burned the eggs for breakfast, you could divorce her. So if you get tired of her, you know, she's in the kitchen cooking, and you want to trade her in for a PYT, and she's in the kitchen cooking, and she walk away from the stove, just sneak in behind her and turn up the flame real high and burn up the food. Then when she come back in, you go, you, Alice, you burned up the food. You're out of here, Alice. You're out of here. You're a goner. I don't know why Alice came to mind, but so you get rid of her. You see, the law said if you put away your wife and give her a bill of divorcement, are you listening? And give her a bill of divorcement that she could go out and marry another man. And Jesus says, no, when you get rid of your wife and you marry another, you're committing adultery. Now, listen, we have taught this topic on adultery um, in Matthew chapter 19 quite extensively and also in Malachi chapter 2. So if you want an in-depth teaching on uh, adultery, uh, you should get Matthew 19, order Matthew 19 or Malachi 2. I do find it interesting that of all the sermon topics that we've taught here, this topic, these two teachings on adultery and committing adultery, is, is the least sold CDs of all the CDs that we have, have sold. I wonder why. And so we're not going to go into it today because I want to really talk about hell. But, but we need to move forward. But, but, but I do want to tell you this. Now listen to this. I do want to say the topic of divorce and remarriage and saying what the Bible says is not, and I repeat, is not politically correct. Because today, it's a cultural norm for people to have divorced at least one time. It's a cultural norm for people to have divorced two times. Liz Taylor, she'd been divorced eight times. Then you would think, Liz, by a clue, if you divorce eight times, ain't nothing wrong with the men that you've been marrying. Something wrong with you. Well, every man I marry, there's just something wrong with them, something wrong with them. No, ain't nothing wrong with them, something wrong with you. No matter where you go, you're always there. Some of y'all get that on the way home. Some of y'all like, hmm, no matter where you go, you're always there. What does that mean? (laughs) How you like that? But it's a cultural norm for people to have at least divorced. And even in the church, saints, listen, this is criminal. Even in the church, the divorce rate is the same in the world. But listen, just because it's a cultural norm does not mean it's acceptable to God. Somebody clap your hands like you believe it and you know what I'm saying. And God has, does, and always will hate divorce. And don't get it twisted. God doesn't hate divorced people. He hates divorce. Can I say that again in case you were asleep? God doesn't hate divorced people. He hates divorce. And the reason he hates divorce is because God knows what divorce will do to you. God hates divorce because God knows what divorce will do to your family. 
God hates divorce because he knows what divorce will do to your friends and to your children. And God knows what divorce will do if you get married, what divorce will do to your new marriage partner. Uh-huh. You take all that old baggage from, because you didn't learn anything from the previous marriage. And you take all that old baggage from the previous marriage and you got divorced over stupid stuff. I've been a pastor for a long time and people get married over or get divorced over irreconcilable differences. Will somebody please tell me what that is? Irreconcilable differences. What is that? Oh, well, he, he keeps leaving the toilet seat up and we just can't really get along. We just can't get along. Listen, I am happy to say, honestly, that I've been married to the same woman, one wife, for 27 years. My wife, I'm going to wait while you clap your hands. I'm, I'm excited about that. Hallelujah. And my wife has been married twice. She has, Rodney. Yep. Her first, some of y'all like, man, Rodney, this is going south. My wife's, <laughs> my wife's been married twice. Her first husband was killed in a car accident when she was 26 years old. And that's been like 35 years ago now. And, uh, so, and, and I'm her second husband. And it's interesting because he was in the Navy. I don't know if I told you this, but he was in the Navy and he was a dental tech. And I was in the Navy and I was a hospital corpsman. So she married two guys exactly the same. And uh, except he was like 6'4 and about two, 280 pounds. And, and, uh, but other than that, we were exactly the same. And... Uh, <laughs> He was a lovely guy who loved the Lord with all his heart, and me too. And uh, so, you know, but, but, but I told my wife, I said, look, it's okay for you to love another man. I told her this. Sweetheart, it's okay for you to love another man as long as his name is Jesus. And not Jesus. <laughs> Amen. If his name is Jesus, the pool guy, we got a problem, Okay. But the church, divorce hurts relationships. Divorce hurts your children. Think about your children. You know, people say, oh, well, kids are resilient. They're resilient. They'll get over it. Listen, they're not as resilient. That's exactly right. They're not as resilient as you think they are. And listen, if you are have been divorced and have children, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but you know what I'm talking about. It hurts the children. And no, you won't see it when they're five years old. And you might not see it because they will survive because God has put in us this mechanism called survival, that, that we, we will survive. We will get along. We will do what we have to do to maintain our sanity and to maintain emotional stability. Your children will get along, but get over it and resilient? Nope. And oftentimes you see it, you see that, that acting out behavior when they're 13, 14, 15 in their teens, they wind up resenting. It does hurt everyone and everything that surrounds you. Don't get a divorce. Stay with your spouse. Pray for them. If they don't know the Lord, pray for them. Be a godly example. Listen, we are the church. And as the church, we are supposed to be a witness to the world. Can somebody say amen? We're supposed to be a witness to the world. And what happens, listen to me, what happens to our witness if we divorce like the world divorces? 
What happens to our witness? At the same time, we sing songs. Our God is an awesome God. He reigns from God can do whatever. We sing songs about the greatness and the glory of God and how God is all powerful. But we don't apply and allow God to be powerful in our marriage. And then what happens is the world sees that and they say, well, yeah, they sing about an awesome God, but they don't believe it. They sing about a powerful God, but he must not be powerful enough to keep your marriage together. And the Bible says that our marriages are a picture of Christ in the church. And Jesus never divorced the church. And God doesn't want us to divorce the church. It's hurting us. It's hurting our family. It's hurting our children. There was a doctor, a Harvard medical doctor who said this. I have it on your screen. I thought it was so important. He said this, the major cause of emotional problem and destruction to the American family is by far divorce. The trend toward quick and easy divorce and the ever-increasing divorce rate subjects children to physical and emotional pain. If this trend does not reverse, the quality of family life will continue to deteriorate and producing a society with a higher incident of mental illness than ever before. That is so true. And listen, if you've already gotten a divorce or maybe you are in the midst, you've gotten divorce papers and you're in the midst of divorce right now, please understand something. God is gracious. Amen, saints. God is faithful. Amen, saints. God is forgiving. Amen, saints. And God will forgive you. But just because God will forgive you doesn't mean you need to walk away from the marriage because you know that God will forgive you. I've had people tell me that. Well, God will forgive me, but I just can't do this anymore. God will forgive me. Well, yeah, God will forgive you. God is merciful and God is gracious. And if you already had a divorce, God loves you and God forgives you. If you ask him to, God loves you and God forgives you. But when you go into that next marriage, do not, do not, do not, do not go into that next marriage thinking if the Lord were to arrange that or, or allow that, don't go into that marriage with, with that same mentality that you had in the previous marriage. You go into that marriage, when you say till death do us part, can somebody please do a brother a favor and mean it? We say till death do us part, but nobody really believes it. We say until you do something I don't like, do us part. Uh-huh. And I'm amazed by that because it's like, you know, when, you, when you're in the dating phase, you're like, oh, oh, he's so cute. Oh, you, I mean, honestly, you know, you talk about this to a couple who's not been married. And they look at you like you got six heads. They're not married yet, but they're going to get married. They're looking like, oh, this could never happen to me. This could never happen to me. Oh, he's so cute. I can't stand it. Look at this cute little nose. I, yeah, I got to marry him. Oh, she's so fine. Oh, she's a PYT. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah, I got to marry her. See, we, 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 don't, we don't think it's possible. But then when we get into marriage, what happens till death do us part? Till death do us part in the Greek language means till death do us part. Till you die, you stay with that individual. Well, that's enough. I got to move on. Look, I want to talk about hell. Look at, look at, look at. I can't wait to talk about hell. Look at Luke chapter 16. Look at verse 19. If you're looking at it, say I'm looking at it. There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen, and he fared sumptuously. I love that word. Sumptuously. Doesn't sound like a grand word. He fared sumptuously every day. But there was a certain beggar named, what was his name, saints? And he was full of sores. 
who was laid at his gate and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. And so it was that the beggar, he died. And he was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and he was buried. And being in torments in Haiti, you're going to see the word torment four times in this text. And being in torment in hell, he lifted up his eyes and he saw Abraham afar off. Are you getting it? He saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And then he cried and he said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in the water and cool my tongue for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham says, son, Remember that in your lifetime, you received good things and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted and you are tormented. And besides, in verse 26, are you looking at it? Besides all this, between us and you, there is a great goal fixed so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot and nor can those from there, from there pass to us. You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch and Calvary Chapel Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. Or you may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the Media Library on our website at cccarry.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light.